Welcome back to the Hemming Brain List, the best podcast. We are talking about book two, chapter 32. It just keeps getting better. Swim said the moment Fishy said, well, ain't this just a fine kettle of fish? Laura Weistich says, do I have to stop reading here? I love that Matilda just dropped this line, he is the father of my child, in the middle of the letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just... I also love the way she's just like, I'm pregnant now, and then writes this letter. And I don't know, the structure of that letter was just like, yeah, it was amusing. Uh, Mango Mondo said, ha, Julian is toast. And Cutili said, first the pregnancy, then the willingness to sacrifice her way of life, and at last, the honesty with her father. I must say, I'm starting to like this brave new Matilda. Will she regret her actions once the infatuation dissipates and reality hits? Also, since we are getting close to the end of the book, I suggest we start a vote on what we'll be reading next. Good suggestion, Kutili, and I actually did put up the vote for the next book today on the Hemingway List subreddit, so you can jump on there and have a vote for the next book. Um, I think we've got about 12 days or so left on this one, I think. I can't remember exactly how many chapters it was, but... Yeah, let's say two weeks-ish. And then, yeah, let's see what we're reading next. It's kind of exciting. I'll keep the voting open for a week or so, and then that'll give you about a week or so to get your copy of whatever we read next. Um, all right, what, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, there was a line, actually the opening line of the previous chapter I really liked. It said, An English traveller tells of the intimate terms on which he lived with a tiger, he had reared it and used to pet it, but always kept a loaded pistol on the table. I liked that opening line. I thought that was pretty cool. That's what I thought. One second, I just have to do a thing. Oh. Okay, one moment, one moment. I'm just doing phone things. Just doing phone things on the middle of my podcast. All right. Chapter 33, The Torments of Weakness. In cutting this diamond, a clumsy jeweler has robbed it of the sum of the brightest gleams. In the Middle Ages, what am I saying? Even under Richelieu, the French, sorry, the French retained the power to will Mirabeau. Julian found the Marquise in a fury. Perhaps for the first time in his life, the noble lord became coarse. He heaped on Julian's head all the insults his tongue could manage. Our hero was disconcerted, exasperated, but his gratitude remained unshaken. How many brilliant projects long cherished in the depths of his mind, the poor man now sees suddenly crumbling in the ruins before his eyes. But I owe him an answer. My silence will only fuel his rage. This answer was provided by the part of Tartuffe. I am no angel. I've served you well. You've rewarded me generously. I was grateful, but I am only twenty-two. In this household, no one understood my way of thinking but you and that lovable creature. Whilst monster, cried the Marquise. Lovable, lovable. The day you found her lovable, you should have fled. I did try. That time when I asked your leave to go to Langdoc. Tired of pacing up and down in a rage, the Marquise, oppressed by misery, threw himself into a chair. Julian heard him mutter to himself, This isn't really a wicked fellow. No, not for you I am not, cried Julian, falling to his knees, but he was ashamed of this gesture, and swiftly got up again. The Marquis's wits really were in disarray. At the sight of this movement, he began again to heap on Julian atrocious insults worthy 
Not a cab driver. Oh. The novelty of these curses perhaps served as a distraction. Hey, my daughter calling herself Madame Sorel. What? My daughter, not a duchess. Every time these two ideas recurred to him in definite form, they tortured Monsieur de la Mole. And his troubled mind spun out of control. Julian was afraid of being attacked. In lucid intervals, as the Marquis began to accustom himself to his misfortune, he reproached Julian quite reasonably. You should have fled, Monsieur, he told him. Your duty was to flee. You're the lowest kind of creature. Julian went to the table and wrote, For a long time my life has been insupportable. I shall put an end to it. I beg Monsieur Le Marquis to accept, as well as my expressions of boundless gratitude, my apologies for the embarrassment my death in his house will may cause. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by the beverage Green Tea. I just say casually after Julian <laughs> tries to excuse himself with a, just a casual suicide note. Monsieur Le Marquis may, desi- may, di- may deign sorry, to glance at this paper. Kill me, said Julian, or have me killed by your valet. It is now one o'clock in the morning. I will go for a walk by the wall at the end of the garden. And go to all the devils, cried the Marquis, as Julian departed. I see, thought Julian, he'd be pleased to have me spare his valet the trouble of my death. Let him kill me, that's all right. It is the satisfaction I am offering him, but heavens, I do love life. I owe it to my son. After the first minutes of his walk, which had been devoted to apprehensions of danger, this idea clearly present in his imagination for the first time began to dominate his thoughts. So novel a preoccupation transformed into a man of caution. I must get advice as to how to deal with this explosive being. His mind is not under his control. He is capable of anything. Fouque is too far away, and in any case would not understand the heart of a man like the Marquis. Comte Altamira, could I be sure of perpetual silence? My request for advice must not become a separate action, and so complicit the situ- and so complicate the situation. Alas, that leaves only the gloomy ape Pirard. His mind is cramped by Janicism, Janis- is Jan- Jansenism, a scoundrel of a Jesuit, would know the way of the world, and be of more use to me. Monsieur Perard is capable of lashing out at the mere mention of the offence. The genius of Tartuffe came to Julian's aid. Yes, well, what I will do is go and confess myself to him. This was his final decision after having paced up and down the garden for more than two hours. He no longer thought of being surprised by a pistol shot. Sleep was all stealing over him. Very early next morning, Julian was several leagues from Paris, knocking at the severe... Jansenist's door, he found to his amazement that the priest was not to be too much surprised at his confession. Perhaps I should blame myself somewhat, reflected the abe, more anxious than angry. Well, I thought I had an inkling of this love affair. My friendship for you, you little wretch, prevented me from warning the father. But what is he going to do? Julian asked eagerly. At that moment he loved the abe, and a scene with him would have been most painful. I see three outcomes, went on Julian. First, Monsieur de la Mole could arrange for my death, and he described the suicide letter he had left with the Marquis. Second, he could have me shot point-blank by Norbert, who would challenge me to a duel. And you would agree to that, asked the Abe angrily, springing to his feet. Your aunt letting me finish. Certainly, I'd never fire at the son of my benefactor. Third, he could exile me if he told me, go to Edinburgh, go to New York, then I'd obey. 
Then Mademoiselle de la Mole's condition could be covered up, but I shall never allow anyone to suppress my child, which would be, have no doubt about it, the first impulse of that corrupted man. In Paris, Matilda was in despair. Towards seven o'clock she had seen her father, he had shown her Julian's letter, and she trembled that he might have thought it noble to put an end to his life, and that without my permission, she said to herself, in misery shot through him with anger. If he is dead, I shall die, she said to her father. It is you who will have brought about his death. Perhaps you will be glad of it, but I swear on his departed shade that I would put in on mourning straight away, and I will be Sorrel the widow in public. I'll send out the formal announcement. Count on that. You'll find me neither timid nor base. Her passion mounted to a pitch of distraction. Monsieur de la Mole was dumbfounded in his turn. He began to consider events more rationally. At lunch, Matilda did not appear. The Marquis was relieved at an immense burden, and above all flattered, when he realised that she had said nothing to her mother. Julian returned on horseback. Matilda called him and threw herself into his arms, almost in front of her maid. Julian was not especially pleased with this ecstatic demonstration. He had emerged feeling very diplomatic and deliberate from his lengthy conference with Abe Perard. His imagination had been cooled by the calculation of probabilities. With tear-filled eyes, Matilda told him she had seen his suicide letter. My father may change his mind. To please me, leave right away for Villequia. Get back on your horse. Be out of the house before they rise from table. Julian did not in any way modify his air of chill astonishment. She burst into a fit of tears. Do let me take charge of our affairs, she cried in a flurry of emotion, hugging him in her arms. You know only too well that I don't want to part from you. Right under cover of my lady's maid, make sure the address is written in a hand no one knows, and as for me, I'll write you volumes, adieu, go. Julian was wounded by this last word, but he obeyed nevertheless. It is fated, thought he, that, even in their best moments, these people should have the knack of offending me. Matilda firmly resisted all her father's prudent suggestions. She would not negotiate at all, except on her own terms, that she would become Madame Sorel and live frugally with her husband in Switzerland at her father's, ha father's house in Paris, she vigorously rejected any suggestion of a secret childbed. That would let in a possibility of slander and of my dishonour. Two months after the marriage, I will go travelling with my husband, and it will be easy for us to pretend that my son was born at the appropriate time. This firm stance, greeted at first with outbursts of rage, eventually made the Marquis ponder. In a relenting moment, here, he said to his daughter, Here's the script for an income of 10,000 livres. Send it to your Julian and let him make it impossible quickly for me to ask for it back. In order to show obedience to Matilda, whose love of command he knew so well, Julian had pointlessly travelled 40 leagues. He was at Villa Quir, regulating the steward's accounts. The Marquis's generosity caused him to return. He went to ask shelter for the Abe Parade, who during his absence had become Matilda's most effective ally. Every time he was questioned by the Marquis, he demonstrated that all courses of action, other than a public marriage, would be criminal in the eyes of God. And fortunately, the Abe would go on, the wisdom of the world is here in accord with religion. Could one rely for an instant, given Mademoiselle de la Mole's fiery nature, on a secrecy she has not imposed upon herself? If the open step of a public marriage isn't taken, society will talk about this strange misalliance very much longer. Everything must come at once, without the least mysteriousness, real or apparent. 
That's true, said the Marquise thoughtfully. By this arrangement, at the end of three days, talk of the marriage would become merely stale news for brainless gossips. We should make use of some great government anti-Jacobin measures to slip it by, under cover in its train. Two or three friends of Monsieur de la Mole agreed with Abe Perard. In their eyes, the great difficulty was Matilda's determined character. But even so, and after all these excellent arguments, the Marquis could not in his soul get used to renouncing the hope of a tuberet for his daughter. His memory and imagination were full of those tricks and deceptions of all kinds that still hap- that had still been possible in his youth. To yield to necessity, to fear the law, seemed an absurd and shameful thing for a man of his rank. He now paid dearly for all those enchanting dreams, indulged for the last ten years about the future of his cherished daughter, Who could have foreseen it? He asked himself, a girl of so lofty a character, of such high powers, prouder ever than I of the name she bears, at whose hand before she was of age had been asked for all by all the most illustrious names in France. All foresight must be abandoned. This age is destined to bring everything to confusion. We are marching into chaos. All right, there we go. Another chapter down chaos we are marching into the world's fallen apart have your say over at the sub at the subreddit <laughs> um thanks for listening i'll see you tomorrow